This is Code Severe, a podcast series revealing the inside story of terrorist attacks from the files of UK counterterrorism police, as told by the officers, witnesses, and the terrorists themselves. 600 kilograms of fertilizer is a lot of fertilizer, enough to cover five football pitches. So if you heard someone buying that amount and they said it was for their allotment, and you knew fertilizer is used to make bombs, what would you do? We often hear that police are investigating potential terrorist attacks, but we never find out what really happens. What you're about to hear is the story of one of the biggest terrorist attacks ever planned on British soil. Some names are withheld for security reasons, but everything else is true. In 2004, counter-terrorism police were tracking a terrorist cell. Former senior special branch officer Nick Sloan. They were what we would describe as players. Uh, they had been abroad, they'd been to training camps, and I think they'd rubbed shoulders with other people that went on to commit terrorist attacks in the UK and abroad. Counter-terrorism detective Peter Walsh. They stayed in the sort of Kalam region of northern Pakistan. They were told to look western, i.e. They, they turned up with jeans, trainers, just blended in as though they were tourists. The group of men visited a weapons and explosives training camp, but Al-Qaeda told the men they had enough fighters in Pakistan. If they were serious, they should do something in Britain. What you're about to hear is the voice of one of the men involved in the plot during a police interview. Uh, I knew that they wanted to get explosive training to do something in the UK. After carrying out a test explosion, they planned a larger bomb to be used in Britain. They were planning multiple bombings on power companies, shopping centers and nightclubs, a precursor to the 7-7 attacks. Breaking news again that there's been reports of an explosion outside Liverpool Street Station. Towards Russell Square and suddenly a huge explosion and all I could see was the top of a bus completely destroyed. Um, Nick Sloan again. The th three constituent elements of a terrorist, you've got to be ready, willing and able. And all three coming together at the same time is when your tipping point comes. We knew they were ready and willing, we just didn't know if they were able. So what kind of things do terrorists do when planning an operation? It's not a world most of us can imagine. I asked former counter-terrorism officer Gurdip Singh <clears throat> they shared bank accounts, credit cards, and one of the suspects had over 10 mobile phones. There was a lot of dating agency websites used by these people to meet women. They targeted those that had critical roles within government offices. Terrorist activities like these are behind closed doors, hard for us to identify or even see. But because they live among us, Sometimes it's right there, staring us in the face. One otherwise normal day in an agricultural merchant was just such an occasion. One of the suspects bought 600 kilograms of fertilizer. He claimed the fertilizer was for his allotment, but that is a lot of fertilizer. Stacked up at the checkout, it stood taller than the terrorist himself. This is Lucy Dorsey. Protective Security Policing Coordinator, Counter-Terrorism Policing. 
We've had a lot of incidents where you'll have somebody that comes out and says, oh, I always thought they were a little bit odd. But this time the opportunity was missed. And I think, well, yeah, they were a bit odd because actually they were involved in terrorism. And you think, why didn't you just call us? Someone had an opportunity when it was purchased, but they, they didn't share that suspicion. I, th I think they even joked with the terrorist who was buying it at the time that, uh, you know, I hope you're not going to make a bomb or something. That was exactly what the man was going to do. The, the, the fertiliser contained ammonium nitrate, a highly volatile chemical and bomb-making ingredient often used by terrorists. He just sold a terrorist the key component for a massive bomb. At this point, police are aware that there is a terrorist cell on British soil that is ready and willing. But what they don't know is that the terrorists now have the half a tonne of fertiliser that makes them able. I asked a counter-terrorism explosives unit officer, we'll call him Andy, how fertiliser is used to make bombs. It's a very, very simple, uh, almost garage chemistry process to make it. However, it's also lethal at the same time. Most explosives form of some form of fuel and some form of oxidizer. Um, the oxidizer in this case would be the fertilizer. Luckily, later that day, counter-terrorism police were about to get a big break. A worker at a self-storage unit, let's call her Anna, was chatting with a friend in a pub. It was a colleague of mine, and he was out with us. But we were just talking about unusual things that were stored, and he said he'd had to be part of a trial about the IRA where some fertiliser had been stored. I said, we've got somebody storing fertiliser. And he said, oh, do you know that it can be used to make bombs? And I said, no. So it just then it just worried me all night. It just wasn't right. So, yeah, I phoned the police. I asked Explosives Unit Officer Andy what kind of impact a 600-kilogram bomb would have had. For example, in large fertiliser bomb inside a built-up area like London, the explosive force basically pushes against buildings, causes structural damage, but that blast wave carries on. So it's very much like having a steam train pass through an office. We suddenly knew where the bomb was, and that's what we called it. It wasn't a bag of fertiliser, it was a bomb. One of Britain's biggest ever counter-terrorism operations was launched. So once we knew about the bomb, we began a round-the-clock intrusive surveillance operation on this group. This would include satellite imagery, the monitoring of communications, both audio and visual surveillance. From then on, most of the staff at the storage unit were, were actually plainclothes officers. They had to safeguard the source of the information, but also make sure the group couldn't turn the fertiliser into that viable device. We were able to film the suspect every time he visited the storage unit. He marked the fertiliser in ways that would alert him if it was interfered with, like uh, he'd leave a hair in a certain place, check it was still there next time, and he dropped powder on the floor to show up any of the footprints. And you can actually see him crumbling the powder around the outskirts of the, the storage unit. The operation was really affected by the Madrid train bombings. 
The blast that ripped through Madrid's early morning commuter train sent blood and metal flying. Ambulances rushed more than a thousand wounded to city hospitals, and the government set up centers for people to identify the bodies of missing loved ones. They were almost con congratulatory and in bewildered awe of these bombers. Um, they believe that Western life is immoral, which made women and children legitimate targets, whether they're out shopping or dancing in a nightclub. We knew the group had been carrying out hostile reconnaissance with a video recorder. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and this was an opportunity for us to get important intelligence. One of the surveillance teams monitoring the suspects' houses spotted something. One of the suspects had put down the camera and gone upstairs. The surveillance team knew that whatever was on the camera could identify the targets of the terrorists. One of the officers covertly entered the premises with the suspects still at home. He made his way through the house until he found the camera. <laughs> he then managed to access the material on the camera, retrace his steps, and exit through the door before the suspect came back downstairs. Footage from the camera revealed the targets the group intended to attack. Yeah, we learned that their targets included power stations, gas pipelines, uh, a popular shopping centre and a nightclub. 600 kilograms of ammonium nitrate would undoubtedly result in a significant number of fatalities and, and injuries to women, children and shoppers. While gathering evidence was essential, surveillance officers constantly faced the risk that they may inadvertently blow the operation. In an operation of that kind, the chance of being compromised increased uh, with the amount of people involved. There was one occasion where we had to uh, carry out some covert surveillance involving going into a, into a property. The team had timed exactly how long any journey took the suspects. Uh, there was an immediate sense of tension because there was a ticking clock for how long we were able to carry out the covert activity we needed to versus when they were going to come back to the property. And I remember quite vividly the heart-in-the-mouth moment where I got the phone call to say that once they were out, um, they'd done an inventory of their kit and a screwdriver was missing. And at this point, they know he's due home in a matter of minutes. Uh, and that's a potential compromise. Because someone just might notice a screwdriver that wasn't theirs in their house. Suspect is now halfway through the walk home. So you have that moment where you have to come up with a solution quickly to get it recovered. Suspect is 10 yards from turning into his street. Someone was quick thinking enough to get back in there, recover it and get out again without anybody noticing or realising what's happened. Within seconds, we were back in control. And when the target came back, they didn't know a thing. So the police now knew the whereabouts of the bomb, and they knew the group had targeted a nightclub. What you're about to hear is a surveillance recording of the suspects planning the bombing. First, you'll hear how in order to plant the bomb, 
they plan to get jobs in a big nightclub in central London. When one of the suspects asks, what are you trying to do then? The other answers, blow the whole thing up, yeah. No one can say they were innocent. All those slags dancing around. I asked Explosives Unit Officer Andy what kind of impact the bomb would have had in a nightclub. In this instance, we're talking about a 600 kilogram bomb uh, that's going to explode in and around a crowded nightclub. The blast wave's going to hit you, somewhere in the region of about two to 3,000 metres per second. Now, blast itself, when it hits you, it doesn't just remove your limbs, it's going to pick you up and it's going to throw you however it wants to throw you. Be that through a glass window, against a brick wall. So it, it's a pretty grim scene, is the best way of putting it. It was time to bring them in. First thing we did was create a series of armed containments around the suspects and the houses and properties that we were going to search. That opportunity fires you up. It fires up your colleagues, it fires up your um, partners. Ultimately, people know they're saving lives. And that's a huge motivator. Police carried out a series of armed raids at four in the morning, with 700 officers searching two dozen locations. Police found CD-ROMs containing plans of Britain's gas and electricity systems, computer files containing an explosives handbook, and a military training manual, plus bomb-making chemicals and remote-controlled detonation devices. Chillingly, they also found a list of British synagogues. At the time of the arrests, police learned that one of the suspects who'd been out of the country was returning on a plane. We got notification that Saladin Amin was on a plane heading back from Pakistan. Detective Peter Walsh. We knew the flight he was on. We had the plane diverted out of sight of the main terminal. We arrested Saladin Amin for CPI, which was Commission Preparation Instigation of Acts of Terrorism. Their mission solely was to commit complete devastation. That half a tonne of ammonium nitrate would have completely exceeded the devastation that was caused in 7-7. This is Neil Basu, Senior National Coordinator Counterterrorism Policing. We were able to stop the attack and the bomb because one woman had a gut instinct and she acted on it. A single piece of a jigsaw is added, and a whole picture reveals itself. An operation undertaken by hundreds of people over many months turns on a single phone call. And we have to wonder, would we have acted? Would we have picked up the phone? 
It's as simple as calling 999, calling 101, confidentially calling the anti-terrorist hotline. That's 0800 789 321. Or reporting something online at gov.uk slash act. You can do all of that without leaving your name. And what we're saying to the public is that action counters terrorism. This is Mark Rowley, National Counterterrorism Policing Lead. However much we can be on patrol, it's never the same as that street seen through that local resident's eyes or the behaviour of a person seen through a friend or an associate's. As the head of counterterrorism policing in the UK, I know terrorism has changed dramatically. The secrecy of the old terrorist groups of Al-Qaeda or the IRA was very different to this almost open source terrorism. That reaching to communities changes the nature of our business and makes the role of communities more important than ever. Five guilty verdicts, five life sentences. A British Al-Qaeda cell have all been given uh, jail for a minimum of 35 years or more for plotting a bombing campaign against the UK. Omar Khayyam, Anthony Garcia, Wahid Mahmood, Salahuddin Amin and Jawad Akbar, all of them British. Men claim to be just days away from a deadly attack on the country they grew up in. Five men were jailed for life. But more importantly, hundreds of lives were saved. Because somebody did something, nothing happened. I think the relationship between the police and the public in the UK is different to pretty much everywhere else in the world. I've got thousands of men and women working day in and day out, but we can't succeed on our own. And I want to ask people, if they see something that looks wrong, don't worry, don't delay, just act. You've been listening to Code Severe, multiple bombings. Hi everyone, uh, today's experiment is with HMTD or hexamethylene triperoxide dienine. To hear hostile reconnaissance, the next in the series, search Code Severe. News footage supplied courtesy of BBC, Sky News and ABC.